We're, uh, our coffee maker is, we got the Keurig right around the time we got married. A little before, maybe it was a wedding present, a little bit after, I'm not sure, but we have an 11-year-old Keurig, um, and it's, it's, uh, it's starting to, starting to fade. Like right now, uh, I don't know if you use the Keurig, but if you put the single serving deal in and you close the latch, right now it's starting to stick a little bit because of all the corrosion and ground up coffee beans. Um, you're supposed to like run, I think, vinegar through it like once every six months. In the 11 years we've had that machine, I've done it twice. Um, so it's kind of shocking that it's still with us, but I can see the writing on the wall. And so I've been thinking about where to go from here. Um, coffee is a really important part of all of our days. Uh, and maybe, maybe more important than anything else that happens during the day. And so to, I, I'm, I'm ready to make the, the right choice because I feel like the Keurig's not super great. It's like good, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about maybe becoming a coffee snob. And so, yeah, right. And so I've, I've, been, I've been thinking about where to go from here. So if you have recommendations for me, um, after the service, please let me know. Because where, where I'm sitting right now is I'm starting to think about getting an old school percolator. Just, wait. Just. So that's, and, and, and I want you to keep that in mind. Because I, I really, the, the reason I'm interested in it is because uh, it sounds to me like a percolator is pretty much exactly kind of, it's like a perfect metaphor for how Paul wants us to shape our minds and our actions. And so I invite you to, to read with me um, uh, th- this translation of uh, Philippians 4, 8 to 9. Paul writes, Finally, brothers and sisters, when anything is excellent or praiseworthy, fix your thoughts on these things. All that is true, all that is honorable, all that is right or right-making, all that is pure, all that is lovely, all that is admirable. Keep doing these things. What you learned, received as tradition, heard and saw from me, and the God of peace will be with you. If you're uh, familiar with this text, you might notice that I've made some edits, a few changes, um, and I'll explain the important ones along the way. But uh, the first thing to notice is that uh, Paul's very very much in the, in the in the mindset of I want you focused on certain things and not focused on others. The New King James has the word meditate, which is a great word, but it's been kind of ruined in our vocabulary by um, the sense of like meditation is where the you empty your mind of everything when you're doing Zen Buddhism or whatever, and that's not that's exactly the opposite of what Paul wants to talk about. He wants our minds filled up like locked in on certain things. He wants our minds to be just bouncing around with certain types of ideas. And so that's where the percolator comes in. If you know, a percolator uh, is, is different than regular drip coffee. Uh, hopefully you can see it on the, uh, on the screen. But a percolator, uh, what you do is you fill up the, the jug with water. And if, you, if you've had any coffee from our old, old machines, I think they're percolators. Yeah, they are, right? Uh, and and what, what, what it does is, this is fascinating to me, it, it, the, there's heat that comes from below, right? And it, and it makes the, the, the water steam, and then the steam comes up, and then it, it, it kind of 
uh, collects on the top uh, of, of the lid, and then it dri- drips in, drips into the coffee filter, okay? And, and in that way, it's pretty much the same as like a regular drip coffee. What, is that not right? Yeah, I'm getting there. Hold, hold on. Okay. So in a regular drip coffee, you have water from the outside that's heated, and then it goes through and it, and it fills up with coffee. With a percolator, uh, the, the, the water comes back to, comes down, it makes coffee, but then it's still hot, right? So it starts to come back up, and then it comes again. And so at first, it's like you have coffee-flavored water. But if you keep the heat on, then it becomes weak coffee because it's going it's getting more, more of the grounds, more saturation, right? But then if you leave the heat on, am, am I okay now or are you happy? You're still, you still think that's shaky? I, I read the Wikipedia article. I know what I'm talking about. That, 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 that picture comes from Wikipedia. <laughs> the, the, it, it, so it filters up and it goes again and again and again. And if you leave the heat on, the, your, the coffee begins to just, it coffee, like John said, coffee on top of coffee. And pretty soon you have the sludgiest, darkest, most highly caffeinated, I mean, it's hard to even call it liquid, but, but liquid that is humanly possible. That's kind of what Paul's getting at when he says, fix your mind on these things. He's like, what, what I want is I want you to be in a situation of life where you're walking around and these are the things bouncing around your head. What are they? He says, truth, all that's true, all that's honorable. That could even be possibly sacred, um, certainly uh, inspirational. All that's right or right-making. Uh, the word for righteousness, dikaisune in Greek, means both things that are righteous, but also things that make other things just. Right? Make things right. So it's, it's both that which is just and good and right, and that which is making things just, good, and right. All that's pure. And pure here is kind of like innocent. Right? Stuff that's not saturated with sex and drugs and violence and rock and roll, but instead saturated with the simple and the good. All that's lovely. This is a great word because uh, it really comes across in English. It's, it's, it's the things that are beautiful but aren't sexual. Right? It's something where you look at it and you're like, that is beautiful. But it impels you to a kind of purity, a kind of goodness. It draws you in. And all that's admirable, the things that are worth caring about, the things that are worth aspiring to. In the ancient world, it was actually it, they actually didn't have as much of a hard time as we do. This is harder for us than it is for them. Do you know why? I will tell you why. Uh, eight to twelve-year-olds. In, uh, on average, in the year 2019, how much time did an 8 to 12-year-old spend um, on a device looking at a screen every day? Who knows? I'm sorry? Four hours and 42 minutes. Yes, almost five hours. Oh, by the way, this does not count doing homework. doesn't count learning things. This is only just being babysat. Fortunately, as we get older, we become wiser. And so how much time do teens aged 13, 
to 18 or 19 spend looking at a screen every day in 2019? I'm sorry? Was it 8 to 9 hours? Close, yeah. 7 hours and 53 minutes. Almost 8 hours. 8 hours a day. And again, that doesn't count learning, doesn't count homework, doesn't count typing essays. It counts TikTok and following your favorite streamer and your favorite YouTuber and your Insta feed. And your video games, your Call of Duty, your Fortnite, your Apex, your PvP. For those of you who don't know what I'm saying, you're old, just don't worry about it. But I assure you that it's worthless. I know what uh, the kids are are looking at because I'm not yelling at you kids, I'm yelling at us because I do the same thing. And I bet if we're honest, most of us adults maybe do something like the same thing too. And I get it. It's not wrong, right? We live in a... It's a crazy world. We got uh, work. We live in a, in a state that's ex- extremely expensive to live in. We have uh, families. And sometimes you just need to check out. Sometimes you need to just check out for eight hours a day. I know that uh, the things that we look at on our devices are not, if we go back to the text, the things that are true, honorable, right or right-making, pure, lovely, admirable. I know they're not. I asked the junior hires on Wednesday, I asked them, what do you look at on uh, your devices, on your screens? What is it? Just give me an example of something that you look at that, uh, that tells you the truth about the world. Something that's honorable and, and inspires you to be, to, to be great or good. Something that makes the world a better place or makes you a better person. Something that's pure and innocent and takes you back to a place where you're not corroded by the corruption and violence of the world around us. Something that's lovely, that impels your eyes but does not draw you to sex. Something that's admirable, that you look at and you think, man, I want to be like that person or that thing. And you know what they said? We have one student, and I love her because she's so blunt. She said to me, don't you get it? We're not looking at our screens to become better people. We're looking to be entertained. And I said, yeah, I get it. And I get the fact that um, the entertainment industry, and by the way, that for those of you who are news junkies, this includes news. Okay? News is entertainment now. In fact, the very word new indicates it's something that's exciting, titillating, new, fresh. Right? So don't think that by going to your favorite news website, you're somehow you know, better than the kids who are making TikToks. You know what? Take that back. News is more important than TikToks. TikTok talks are a joke, and it's a Chinese uh, surveillance system. So kids, get rid of your TikTok. All right. The industry understands that there's something insanely attractive about just being entertained, just checking out, just looking for the the next thing, the next swipe, the next video, the next whatever. They get it. 
And in the ancient world, it actually wasn't that hard to focus on things that are true and noble and honorable and right and right. Make it was easier back then because they didn't have the stuff that we have. Life in the ancient world was really boring when it wasn't painful. And so people did spend time thinking about other stuff than just what makes us And so now we're actually at a point in life and a point in human history where we have to work, work, institute disciplines, institute activities in our life that force us to consider things that the tradition calls good, true, and beautiful. I have a couple examples, some pictures here of things that you can do, Um, not ground coffee. Yes. Yeah, that's right. The, the co- coffee is like necessary. And then if you do these things, you might <laughs> focus on the good, sure, and the beautiful. Um, notice that every single one of these things, is, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good thing, but it's actually something that's hard to do. So uh, be out in nature, exercise. No one wants to do that. And the people who do are all insane. <laughs> uh, going and, and serving or helping um, be a part of other people's lives. Uh, reading the classics. Yeah, it's, it's so funny. I think uh, the, the, the reason we have a, a canon of literature is because there are certain books that have been written over the years that are focused on things like the big stuff, God, death, you know, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. The stuff I read is about robots and dwarves and, you know, sometimes a murder mystery. Okay? So that's garbage and it's easy to read. What's hard to read is something that actually examines the human condition. Prayer and scripture, it's hard to pray. Gary tells me this all the time. He says, Tom, prayer is hard work. And he's right. And we're being honest. How often do it, it's hard for me, the pastor, the leader guy, to get up and pray with the men's prayer group on, on Fridays at 7. Because I'd rather sleep. I'd rather read the news. I'd rather collect another moon on Super Mario Odyssey. <laughs> but what's interesting about these types of activities is when you make the discipline and you do them, it's sort of like heating up the water in the percolator. It's, it's getting the water so hot that it's got to it's come up and it's got to start running into the grounds over and over and over. When you make a discipline, you win a practice out of these types of things, things that encourage the endorphins in the brain and consideration of stuff that's not just the mundane, but is the good, the true, and the beautiful. It heats the water up, the, the, the steam starts going, and, it, and the cycle begins, and you begin saturating yourself in things that are beyond, things that are above, things that are good, and then those thoughts start bang, banging around your head instead of the thoughts that we're used to. And that's the first thing in your note sheets. If you want to be a percolator, percolators warm up with edification, not entertainment. Edification, not entertainment. Edification is something that raises the soul, increases your your thoughts and your consideration of the good, the true, and the beautiful, and not something that just drags you down and distracts you over and over. Which brings up a question. What regular practice in my life do I have that inspires me, that warms up the water and causes me to start thinking about the good, the true, and the beautiful? Do I have anything I do just for five minutes a day, just five minutes that gets me out of this and into that? 
I think some of us do a great job at this. Some of you are like me. And what's bouncing around your head all the time ain't that great. Paul says, keep doing these things. What you learned, received as tradition. It's a very odd way of phrasing it. Um, in older translations, they tend to do the keep doing these things. They put it at the end to distract you from the fact that in English, this doesn't make sense. How do you keep doing what you've learned? How do you keep doing what you've received? Right? Those are seeing how do you do thoughts, right? Because that's what it sounds like to us. Uh, this is the language in the ancient world of receiving a tradition of practices, Okay, so when Paul says, um, I have this and I've passed it on to you, what he means is, uh, there's this thing that the apostles told me to do, and now I'm telling you to do it too. In the, tradition, in the Christian tradition, those are things like what? Worship, prayer, baptisms, weddings, funerals, communion. These are all the, the, the furnishings, the actions of a Christian life, Right? Why do we celebrate weddings? Anybody? Why, why do we care about weddings? Come on, we're Americans. We know this. I'm sorry? It's God's will. Jack, no, pipe down. Give me the wrong answer. I'm sorry. Party. Party is good. That's awesome. Yes. Uh, what else? What are, what are weddings about? It's about true love. It's about love. Right? Wedding. Oh, we found these two hearts and they've united and it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. That's what the world says. Weddings aren't about, I mean, look, I'm all for love and I want people to be happy together. I'm not against that, okay? I'm just saying that weddings are really about uh, us. They're a symbol. They're a symbol that new life is coming, right? The whole point of weddings is to form a family. It's to bring a man and a woman together so that when they have offspring, that's going to come. The offspring is going to have, the children are going to have a safe and warm and nurturing environment within which to grow and to pass on the faith. It is about new life. We've completely missed this because of Disney, but it's true. It's what it's always been. The understanding that when a man and a woman come together, children come afterwards. Mark and Jen, congratulations. Children are coming. It's an exciting moment. That's why we, we, you're married. What are children a symbol of? New life. Redemption. Why do we do communion? To remember the Lord's death. What? Until he comes. New life. Why do we do baptism? Go down with Jesus into the grave and then come up with new life and resurrection to remind us that the the world around us isn't telling the truth about life. That that life is actually, it's, it's, it's about the new life that Jesus provides now and will in the future. Why do we do funerals? Man, have you been to a funeral where like no one believes in anything? They're horrible affairs. Not that funerals that are Christian are great. No one leaves me like well, sometimes. But <laughs> no, the, the point of a Christian funeral is we say, uh, you're going into the ground, but guess what? As horrible as it is to say goodbye for so long, there's hope. New life is coming. Why do we worship? Why do we raise the hallelujah? To remember that new life is real. 
Why do we pray? Because there's a God who is sending us new life in his spirit and will raise us from the dead in new life for eternity. The whole point of all the stuff that we do is to remind us, to make it bounce around in our heads that what is going on out there isn't fundamental. It's not important. The true story is the the story of forgiveness, redemption, and fresh new life. Resurrection life. These things that we do, these practices of gathering and singing and and reading the scriptures and and burying and marrying and and baptizing and feasting on the, the Lord's body and blood, all these things are meant to be sort of like the coffee grounds and the percolator. And as, as our life cycles through them over and over and over again, we become more and more saturated by a true telling of the world story. The story that says life leads to death, but death is not the end. New life is coming and is already here. We are not ruled by sin. We're not ruled by hopelessness and despair. We're ruled by the, the, the grace of Jesus Christ and the life that is available in it. So next thing in your note sheets, percolators saturate in reminders, not rituals. Reminders, not rituals. Paul says, keep doing what else? Oh, that brings up a question. Here's your opportunity to say, that's it. I've got to leave Coast Bible Church and never come back. This is your moment. It's your gut check moment. Is your life of worship centering you on this story, this telling of the world? Is the showing up and the serving and the worshiping and the baptizing and the communion and the listening and the singing and the fellowshipping, is it focusing you on the new life that's available in Christ and the resurrection that is to come? Because if it's not... I'm failing you. Or maybe God is in a different, you know, zone for your experience. But but whatever it is, that's the substance of what our worship life is supposed to be doing, inculcating this experience mindset, saturating us in these grounds. Paul says, keep doing these things, what you heard and saw from me. What you heard and saw from me. Paul used to hang out with the Philippians. He spent quite a bit of time with them. And he's, he's asking them to remember the stuff that Paul said and the stuff that Paul did. And he's like, do that stuff. Paul knows that human beings naturally need someone to follow and to look up to. And it's very shocking that he uses himself as an example. Why? Paul was really ugly. Paul didn't have a silver tongue. In fact, people didn't really like listening to him. Maybe his voice was grating. Maybe he couldn't find the right words. But there's several places in the New Testament where it's clear that churches have said to Paul, Paul, we don't, just don't come back, man. You're irritating and we don't like what you have to say. We found somebody better who tells us what we want to hear. 
One of the reasons that Paul was ugly was because he was beaten many times in his life. Um, and he was probably somewhat disfigured by the time that he was in his 50s, 60s, or 70s, depending on how long you think he lived. But he wasn't very much of a sight to behold. His hands uh, were gnarled and calloused because he was a leather worker. He, uh, he built tents, and he refused, for the most part, to accept money uh, from the churches that he visited. He wanted to create them and, and, and not have profit be a concern. He didn't want people to think that he was there for the money, and so he would support himself as much as possible as a blue-collar worker. And so his hands um, weren't uh, manicured, and, and, and they weren't pretty like other philosophers and other speakers. And the things that he said were sometimes grating and harsh. And the life that he lived was one that was honestly filled with pain, physical pain and deprivation. Keep doing what you heard from me. Keep doing what you saw me do. Human beings, we have this, uh, this need to look up to other human beings. And again, uh, we live in a culture that has, has seized on this fact. And our culture has figured out that a lot of money is to be made by setting our eyes on great people. People like Paul McCartney. And Meryl Streep. I submit Meryl Streep, greatest actress of all time. I say this because she, her career has, has spanned so long, and she still gets A-list roles. Um, that's a pretty impressive. Michael Jordan. Right? We look up to Michael Jordan because he could do things that, that no one, not even LeBron James, can do. How many championships? Six, five, something. Barack Obama. Do you remember? It's hard to remember, but remember in 2008 when he was like, well, you guys were, you couldn't even think in 2008. Um, but the rest of us, uh, remember that hope and change deal? How inspiring were some of those speeches? Elevating the soul. One of the things that we know in uh, mass media now is it's very, very important for the people we look up to to be very good looking. It's very interesting. Uh, in, in, the, in the world before uh, photography, people could be ugly and they could still be celebrities. Uh, that, that's shocking because it's no longer true. You have to be beautiful to look at to be somebody that other people, normal people like us, worship. And, and, and it's not just, you know, the culture, right? It's not just the secular culture. Uh, we've, if you notice, we as Christians have our own subculture of celebrities, Right? Um, if you're if you're in the Christian world, the zone, you know that uh, you know the kind of the Nashville, Tennessee is where it sort of emanates from. But there are very beautiful Christian singers who are more authentic and more worshipful. And there are Christian movie stars, and there are Christian authors and leader guys. And their lives are perfect. And they'll tell you how yours can be too. 
I have some uh, famous Christian celebrities here on the screen. On the top left um, is St. James the Just, brother of Jesus. Grew up with Jesus, was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah, which I think is one of the greatest proofs that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. Because if you grew up with somebody, you know all of their foibles. Uh, St. James the Just was thrown from the top of the temple 10 or 20 years after Jesus was raised from the dead um, by the religious authorities. Below him is St. Agnes. She was born in 291 AD to a wealthy Roman family. Early on in her life, she realized that she wanted to spend her whole life serving Jesus. And so she committed to uh, never marrying and to being a servant of the poor. She was such a uh, catch, however, that all of her suitors um, wanted her, they were mad that she was reserving herself to the church. And so they informed Emperor Diocletian and his secret police uh, that she was a Christian and at the age of 13 years old, she was, uh, her throat was slit in the, uh, the Colosseum and, and her blood was poured out. In the middle there is uh, William Tyndale. Uh, William Tyndale uh, was a scholar and a theologian in uh, England. When Henry VIII decided that he wanted to trade in for a new model and didn't like Catherine anymore and wanted Anne Boleyn, uh, William Tyndale stood up and said, no, sir, this is not right. You don't have a legitimate uh, case for divorce. Henry VIII put out a, a hit on him and uh, he was burned at the stake. He, as he was choking from the, the smoke, he cried out and said, God, have mercy and open the eyes of the king of England, and then died, and his corpse was burned. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was safe in the United States of America, was warned, do not return to Nazi Germany. They know who you are, and they know what you believe. And he went anyway, and they threw him in jail. And there he wrote most of his famous works um, until he was caught in a plot to assassinate Hitler and he was himself executed. These are our celebrities. Paul says, keep doing the things that you heard and saw in me. Keep doing the things. Keep Stay close to the faith I transmitted to you, even when it costs you. You've seen what it's done to my body, but I'm asking you, don't quit on the faith. Don't give up because of privation or suffering or deprivation. Instead, stay with it. The irony is, that's where the joy is. And Paul seems to think that if, if, if we do this, if we, if we keep in mind and we, and we imitate and we look for uh, the Christian saints, the Christian celebrities that we call saints, uh, and, and, and that's what's bouncing around our brain as we, we, we focus on them and, and, and they saturate our, our thinking and, our, and our, our recognition, then he believes that, that our mind will start to change and will start to think differently, see differently, believe differently. If these are the people we surround ourselves with and the actions and the disciplines that we, then, then it's going to change the way we think. And what's so crazy, and uh, high schoolers, you know, wake up for a second. Look at that, that was awesome. Nate, Nate was like, what? I love it. Um, high schoolers, the thing is, 
you don't have to just be looking at you know, dead people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer that you've never heard of. You know what's crazy? What's crazy is we have saints here. People who have suffered and remained faithful. They're your parents. They're your elders. Sometimes they're your fellow high schoolers. If you look around in this place, you're, you're going to find people that have been tested over time. Theirs is a faith that's authentic and real. It's not a faith that's about getting eyeballs and clicks and likes. It's a faith that is about staying the course no matter what comes because it's true. It's about setting our eyes on that which is lovely and beautiful and honorable and good and right and right making. You're going to see people whose lives have been shaped by that. And these are the people that you should be looking up to. Not, not, not Cardi B. I'm standing on the stage. Uh, you may not know this if you came late, but uh, this stage, we had been walking on picnic tables. Um, but over the last couple of weeks, Ryan Gates started it, and then Trent Walker, with supervision by Nate Ballinger and a little bit of myself, uh, made this thing out of wood. And it's really solid, and it's beautiful. Don't be like Cardi B. Be like Trent. Be like Ryan. Bill just suffered for a week, uh, you know, traveling in the mountains. He, he lost 20 pounds. Um, Rachel came back stronger and more invigorated. Bill's on, Bill, Bill woke up today at 4 o'clock, and he came, and he led the way with Christian. By the way, Christian, last week, by yourself, more or less, you kind of did every, all the AV, and you were at like 16, 17 years old. 17 years old, right? Hey, be like Christian. Be like Bill. Be like Rachel. For 10 years, every time something broke... Linda, God bless her, drove Hank Rederson here. And Hank and Jerry, Jerry, I hope you're watching. Fixed it. Be like Hank and Jerry. When you walked in today, uh, we've got, I mean, I, the logistics are fascinating to me. I don't do logistics, but uh, Kristen and Dan... Um, have been assiduously putting it together over the last couple of weeks to make it so that you know it's more or less organized chaos. Be like Kristen. It's the last thing in your note sheets. Percolators saturate in saints, not celebrities. Saints, not celebrities. And that should bring up a question. Who are you following? And friends, I, I got to tell you, you know, I'm... Honestly, I'm, just, I'm humbled. I'm humbled because here I am, and I'm not really yelling at you, about this stuff. I'm yelling at me. Because I look at what Paul says and I look at my own life and I realize I'm constantly seeking 
entertainment and not edification. I'm constantly just going through the motions of rituals and not, and not being present and centered on the reminders of new life. And I'm constantly watching the next movie and reading the next book and listening to the next album and always looking for the next game, anything, anything, anything to stop and be confronted and to be marinated, saturated, percolating in the good, the true, and the beautiful. And then I come here and I see you all. And I see what you do. I see what you, the time and the effort, the energy that you put in. John and Estella getting here super early and putting together music and John helping out lifting things, putting together. See Bonnie and Steve worried about COVID but still wanting to be with their people. I think time and time again of the one person who's not in my family whose photo I have in my office, Marianne Fisher, Lloyd's mom, who invested in me when I was a kid and when I was angry and mad about the state of the world and the state of the church. I look at all of you and I think, wow, there's hope. Here are people that really do want to be saturated, saturated in the good and the true and the beautiful the people who desire edification and not entertainment, the people who thirst after reminders of new life and redemption and not rituals, the people who are saints instead of celebrities. Let's stay with it. Let's grow together and keep battling together. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, thank you so much for Coast Bible Church. Thank you for a set of people who deeply desire to be immersed in your truth. The things that are honorable and noble, the things that are just and righteous things that are pure and lovely, the things that we ought to admire. God, center our minds on the things that Paul left us, the teaching, the traditions, the life he lived. Center our minds on those in our midst who are living examples of what it means to follow you, to suffer for you, to imitate you, Jesus to seek your will, Heavenly Father, to be empowered by you, Holy Spirit. May you lift our hearts and give us encouragement to keep on keeping on and to be saturated in all that you give us. Jesus, in your name we pray, amen.